Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we'll be taking a look back at the win at Watford, uh, talking about player relationships, particularly that of Bukayo Saka and Martin Odegaard. And we'll be talking with Mark Carey, who, along with Art de Roche uh, and I'm told James McNicholas as well, wrote a piece outlining the result, uh, the reasons that Arsenal have gone from bottom after three games to top four after 25. I'm Ian Stone, joined this week by two of the finest writers in the athletic pantheon. <laughs> it's Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Morning. Morning, Ian. Hey, Ian. All right. We all heard the second Smith Row chant, and it's brilliant. I, I love hearing it. But. Generally, there's a feeling that some of the other players lack uh, their own chant. So we were wondering who deserves a chant. Um, for bonus points, you can include some lyrics. Now, there was a Mikhail Arteta suggestion, uh, which was the Boom 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 song from the Venger Boys, which I listened to this morning, and it, I really feel like I've poisoned my ears, to be honest with you. Uh, but, James, this is, um, th- I mean, well, can you just sing it? Briefly for us. <laughs> you must remember the Venger boys. Boom, boom, well, boom, I, boom. I do I now. In my room. Because there's no gaffer better. We've got Mikel Arteta. Yeah. <laughs> that was doing the rounds at Vicarage Road yesterday, apparently, by all accounts. But it's funny, talking about chants, you know, the, the Lacazette chant was do, was uh, getting an airing yesterday. And um, he's a Frenchman number nine, plays for Arsenal Red and White. Scoring goals is what he does best, and he goes by the name of Lacazette. And I was thinking, <laughs> we need to change that because really, it's sort of everything else about his game that's that's really good at the moment. I mean, well, what about scoring goals ain't what he does best? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It's a simple change, but you know, we still like him. Yeah, I think that I think that <laughs> would work. Um, in terms of who deserves a chant, do you know what? As much as I love the Saka and Smith Road chant. And I think there's something very lovely about them sharing it. Watching Bukayo Saka yesterday, I, I did feel as if he is a player who deserves one in his own right. I don't know uh, what it should be, but I think, you know, as much as it's great to have the Saka and Smith Road chant and everything that kind of means to the fans and represents about the academy, I just thought individually he was so outstanding at Watford that... Um, He's arrived at the point where he, he kind of needs his own song too. Boom, 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 boom. He scores more <laughs> goals than Laka. He's Bukayo Saka. Something like that, maybe? Would Something that work? like that, Ian. I'd be on board, yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, that thing he scores, scoring goals is what he does. Dropping deep into midfield and adding another body doesn't quite scan as well, does it really? No. He was brilliant yesterday. Uh, yeah, I, I thought uh, every touch he made was spot on, Laka. Mm. He was really on it. I, I, I agree. It was an excellent performance. I agree. Uh, Amy, what about songs? Um, I'd have to agree with uh, with James in that I, I do think that the fact that these two 
prodigies have to share a song. It's a little bit mean. I think they can have a, a song each as well. I think they both merit their own song. Mm. Uh, just in the sort of, a very, very simple offering for Bukayo, but, you know, I think it might work. Bukayo, my lord, Bukayo, <laughs> oh, lord, Bukayo. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, but... <laughs> Anyway, you didn't do that I, with a lot of commitment. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, well, yeah, it's Monday morning, mate. <laughs> I want to be operatic. Yeah, fair enough. I need a little warm up. Yeah. Um, I think I think it is interesting that a few, you know quite a lot of players don't have a, a, their own song. I also take. Ah, I hate to be again the sort of song police of Arsenal. I'm not. I'm not really buying the the Ben White thing that kicked off at Watford. Now, I know that obviously people in the crowd seem to really enjoy it and sung it for a long time. Yeah. What was it again? I've forgotten it. It's now. the Benny Ian Wright White, song. White, White, Benny White, White, White. I know, it's an aberration, now, isn't it, really? Uh, well, apart from the fact, I just, I think there are certain players that I think it's they're a bit they're a bit sacred and maybe their song is just, it, you almost retire the song with the player. It's like retiring yeah. shirts. Yeah. I'm just finding it a little bit, ah, Ian Wright's song to be used for a centre half. However good he is, it's just not really doing it for me if I'm being purist. But I also think if you asked him, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'd be willing to bet if you asked Ben White if he liked being called Benny. <laughs> yeah. I have just a feeling that he wouldn't. It's not Ben and it's not Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, so I think it... Benny. It just makes me think Benny Hill and Benny from Crossroads. I'm just not sure those are the sort of images that Ben White wishes to project. Google them, kids, all right? Google both of them, just in case you, you need to <laughs> You've know. you got a lot to learn. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, you in have fact, no the idea. Be- in, times of, in times past, I used to enjoy the Benny Hill soundtrack being sang when there was some comedy defending. Yes, that's that? true. No, no, I do. Um, uh, essentially, what you've done, Amy, <laughs> is you've, it, rather than added a song, you've assessed, suggested we take one away. But I think that's, that's fair enough. Me... Um, I was thinking about this this morning. I'm I'm hoping for um, Gabriel, the big G, G uh, G A B R A E L. I don't think it'll work, but I just wanted to do that in public. Uh, anyway, a reminder: you can listen to us singing uh, <laughs> on a fuller version <laughs> when we will do the entire tunes, the back catalogues. Anyway, uh, you can also read all the pieces uh, that we're going to talk about today and much more over on The Athletic. Uh, get yourself a subscription for £1 a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Moving the ball on quickly, though. Martinelli! The football has been excellent from Arsenal, and they're clear here. Watford 2, Arsenal 3 yesterday. It's four wins in a row. Eight out of the last ten games in the Premier League uh, we've won. I don't like red socks and shorts, by the way, James. I, I find it... I don't know. I just it's too, Maybe it's too close to Liverpool or something. We've got white shorts and white socks, right? I don't get it. Yeah, I think it was Arsenal's choice, actually. Was it? I don't think anybody imposed choice? it on them. Um, I wonder they must have just felt yellow and white was sort of too close. But uh, yeah, it, it does look slightly odd. Someone it might be in. something to do with. Um, I think the regulations want one dark color and one light color. Right. Okay. So that Fair might enough. be it. Okay. I, listen, it's not a major thing. It just annoyed me, uh, James. Um, you wrote a piece about Saka and Erdegaard uh, having a, a really lovely relationship mm. now. Um, 
And and also, by the way, if there's an interview that you pointed out on uh, on Twitter, this um, interview with uh, Martin Odegaard in a Norwegian uh, magazine or newspaper, I think. Uh, just put it in Google Translate, by the way, because some of the translations are wonderful. The field giant. He was the field giant for the second game running. Uh, also, talking about Mesut Ozil being the German butler. I have no idea. That surely is a mistranslation. But anyway, but he's running the games now, isn't he? And he's got a lovely uh, relationship with Bukayo Saka. Yeah, he does. And I think it's interesting. You know, last season, this was an Arsenal team and we'll chat about this a bit later probably with Mark Carey, that was so heavily emphasised on the left-hand side. You know, you think of Kieran Tierney pushing really high, everything seemed to go down that flank. And I think the arrival of Martin Odegaard is one of the key things that's brought more balance. Uh, it's made Arsenal less asymmetrical. If anything, I think the right flank looks the stronger at the present time. And yeah, they were sensational yesterday. I mean, the first goal that Arsenal scored, all Arsenal's goals yesterday were brilliant, but I think yeah. that first one was a real demonstration of you know, kind of the intuition, the interplay between Saka and Odegaard. And they just seem to be really enjoying it. And actually, I have to say, when Pepe came on with about 20 minutes to go and Saka was switched over to the left-hand side, I was a bit disappointed just because I'd been so enjoying watching uh, those two together. And it's really exciting to think, you know, not just that we get to watch them this season, but what they might become in the future. They're both still so young. Um, they're both in the early part of their career. But really delivering for Arsenal at this point. And uh, yeah, I, I just think Odegaard, you know, it's tempting to say he's flying at the moment, but it's really more gliding. He just glides around the pitch um, with such ease and such grace. Uh, it, I couldn't choose between him and Saki yesterday. I thought they were both brilliant. Yeah, um, Amy, Martin Odegaard, we got him for what, 30 million quid? When you think about 85 million for Harry Maguire or even 47 million for Fred, by the way, at Manchester United, um, we've we've got, I mean, we've got potentially one of the best number 10s we've had in quite some time. Yeah, but also, how much was Joe Willock sold for? 20, 21. Okay, so you know, essentially, the cho- that you know that that summer, the the choice was, you know, keep Joe and have faith in him. Obviously, a, a fine young player who came through the academy, but they've basically sold him, and for you know a little bit of an add-on, got themselves Martin Odegaard, who, you know, looks capable of producing a different type of uh, influence in the team. I think it's been interesting that you know because he had the loan spell. You, you'd sort of ordinarily regard that, I, I guess, the first six months or whatever as an adaptation period for a player. And yet when he came back, it was almost like he started again, even though obviously he knew everybody and he knew what was going on. But in terms of his own evolution within the team, the synchronicity that he's begun to develop with those around him, as James mentioned, being the kind of creative hub that keeps things, um, keeps the engine really purring in that attacking yeah. Uh, phase that's where it's it looks like he's actually come on another level in these recent weeks and when you speak to people in Norway I think they always felt that he needed to be somewhere where that could happen that in terms of his talent they always knew that it was there even from you know when he was 15 and he was still playing in Norway before he went to Madrid and with with all these experiences that he's amassed over those youthful years of of going you know being in Madrid and then going on loan here there and everywhere, 
it was as if he needed to find, if you like, his his natural home where he could be, you know, the man and be himself. And I hesitate to say it felt like a bit of a last chance scenario because I don't think it was quite that. But I think people in Norway regarded this as a as a really pivotal moment in his career. It, it looks like, I mean, I think everybody's aware that Arteta thinks extremely highly of him and probably gives him a lot of responsibility, which he's happy to welcome. It's helped him to grow. And the interesting thing is that it feels like there's still a bit more growth to come. I don't think that it's quite finished product at the moment of sort of peak Odegaard. But there's a lot on his shoulders all of a sudden. People are recognising what he can be. And delivering that is is quite a big deal, especially where the team is now. It's his best goal-scoring campaign, um, five league goals uh, for the season. And he's just, he seems to be the sort of creative hub. And I think what you said there, Amy, about the fact that there's more to come, I think we can feel that not just with him, with some of the other members of the team as well. I but mean, he needs to be looking at game. those players who played in his kind of role, who do score quite a handsome number of goals and do produce quite a handsome number of assists. I think that he's got to accept that to be his optimum and ultimate, ultimate, excuse me, player, he's got to make sure that those numbers are there to back up his skill. Quite. Um, James, I want to ask you about uh, Lacazette. Um, Amy uh, earlier was talking about how well he played. And he did play very well yesterday. Um, seven assists and a goal in his last nine appearances. It's not really what you'd want from your centre forward. And yet he's sort of integral to the way Arsenal are playing, dropping deep and and adding an extra body and linking the play. Um, it's what Mikel Arteta wants from a centre forward. It's exactly what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did not give him. Uh, well, you can't argue with Arsenal's improvement, certainly since Lacazette came into the team and... Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm a bit weary of kind of the ongoing debate around Lacazette. I mean, I know that he um, isn't scoring enough goals. He knows that. Uh, but his overall contribution to the team is so good. And I find it strange that we look at people like Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, Smith Rowe scoring goals. And we don't see the fact that they're playing with Lacazette as related. You know, it feels like replacing him would be to take kind of a vital ingredient out of a recipe. Um, It it just seems counterintuitive. And I think his importance to the team can't be understated. What he's doing at the moment is fantastic. The touches yesterday to set up Saka and Martinelli were sublime. Um, Really was kind of his his best Olivier Giroud impression in terms of the hold-up play and the layoffs and the flicks. (laughs) I I just think he... he, uh, yeah, I actually feel for him a bit. I think he gets quite a hard time and I think he he really is working incredibly hard, doing a, a really important role for the team, utterly selfless at times. And yes, it'd be great if he was scoring more goals, but Arsenal are scoring lots of goals. And that's the key yeah. thing. Since he came into the side, Arsenal have more attacking threat and he's just a key component in that. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm full of praise for him Uh, and almost partly as a reaction because obviously the lack of goals attracts attention. But I think if you can't see what he's bringing to the team more broadly, then uh, I don't know what to tell you, frankly. Well, I mean, this is the point, isn't it, Amy, that surely we we maybe have to 
have a rethink about what a centre-forward player brings us, really. I mean, you look at Man City and they haven't even got one. They score more goals than anyone. We do seem to be more of an attacking threat with Lacazette in the team, even though he's not scoring, he's hardly scoring any goals. Maybe we have to have a, a, a another look at uh, that position, really. Well, let's see what happens next season in that regard, I think, because I suppose it depends who comes in, uh, if Lacazette is retained and so on and so forth. But I would say one thing, which is that if there are people out there that don't appreciate what he's giving to the team, I don't think that's a sentiment that he would have within the dressing room. I'm absolutely certain that the rest of the players and Mikel Arteta and the coaching staff shower him with the kind of love and respect that his performances deserve at the moment. I don't think he'll be sitting there thinking that he's letting anyone down, except possibly if he looks in the mirror, he might feel he wants more goals. And, he, you know, if you are, strikers do thrive on on that feeling, let's be honest. And I'm sure he'd love to be adding a few goals as well. You could see by his celebration the other day, even though they didn't give the goal to him against oh, Wolves, yeah. the, how much it meant to him and to those around him that, you know, it felt like his goal. So let's not underestimate that, but I'm sure he's he's feeling the love big time within the within the camp. Yeah, I just wanted to add on that that it was interesting. A couple of things Mikel Arteta said before and after the game. After the game yesterday, I asked him about Lacazette and his overall contribution, and he said, uh, you know, he'll be gutted or some words to that effect. You know, he, it, because he's a striker as well as he played, he'll be really disappointed in the dressing room because he hasn't got that goal and you know I sort of will it for him to be honest to get that monkey off his back and to to get that feeling back in him but I thought it was interesting as well on Friday I think it was at the press conference Arteta was asked about the striking position and and his intentions for it next season and you would think given the way Lacazette's been playing given his role to the team that kind of his immediate priority he might say well the first thing is they need to be able to link the play they need to be able to hold the ball up they mm. need to be able to bring others in and that isn't what he said he said the first thing is they need to be a goal threat they need to be someone who provides goals and is a threat in the penalty box and i just found that interesting you know it it's it, it shows that I think while Arteta clearly sees Lacazette as his best option at the present time and something that is working for the team right now, I think going forward, he also recognises that to get where he wants to go, we probably need someone who is more of a goal threat. And that will be addressed in the summer with any luck. And hopefully, if we can get top four, I mean, who knows what that might do to the budget or the expectations in terms of what we might be able to bring in. Quite. Just a moment of appreciation, Amy, for Mikel Arteta's um, pre-assist, assist, <laughs> or whatever you call it, with his running out of his technical area, giving the ball to Saka, and off we went. What? I mean, you were right. They were all fantastic goals, but I think the third one is the one that I love the most, just because of the, the... That was old Arsenal. Adrian Clark on Twitter actually said, the quality of Arsenal's attacking football is starting to remind me of the good old days. These young'uns are the real deal. Uh, now, Cedric was obviously part of that as well, but just the way that they pinged it about. I mean, we really are, we move fast, don't we now? Well, that's been one of the issues that I think frustrated people so much previously where it felt pedestrian. You know, Arsenal did feel slow for quite a while. Yeah. So uh, reintroducing some zip and zets and, you know, that high energy, high speed, high velocity passing and moving is, it's uh, really, 
it connects you as a supporter with something that you associate with the best of times. So, but as everybody knows, there needs to be some substance to it. I mean, what was that famous game? Was it Fulham away when under Emery, when the fans started singing, we've got our Arsenal back. And, you know, it, it was very much a flash in the pan. There were some great goals that day and great individual moments and passages of play. But I think every time you're out there to speak, it underlines this. You know, however well things are going, he makes very clear that whatever compliments and praise he lavishes on on the team and their efforts, it's like you know that he 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 wants the job done, he wants more improvement. He's striving for this kind of perfection. And there was some perfection in the forwards yesterday, uh, attacking play, but it was not perfection at the back or in terms of controlling the game. Quite. Um, and I know we talk about Bukayo Saka every week, uh, James, but I just, I got my um, my son, who's away for the moment, watching the game with a mate uh, out in Spain, um, just sent me Saka though <laughs> on a text. Uh, I mean, he's not even 21. He's, he's world-class already and he can get better. Could and actually, something I really noticed yesterday was uh, how much he relished kind of the physical challenge. You know, there oh, were points yes. where players were going shoulder to shoulder with him or lunging in on him, and he was absolutely ready for it and taking that on and uh, brushing it off at times. And yeah, I thought he was fantastic. He gave Watford a torrid time, particularly in that first hour or so down that right flank. I loved the way he scored his goal, the fact that he won the ball back. Every aspect of the game was there. And I think that kind of devastation in his finishing, it, it is within him. And we've seen it now. His last couple of goals have been really emphatic. I think he can produce that more regularly. He did for the academy sides. I think he will go on and do that at senior level. And this was a really outstanding performance, actually. You know, he looked every inch a Champions League player. And I hope that Arsenal can get there because it's a platform that his talent deserves. Tip pass, it's Saka picking it up, Lacazette, Saka, oh! Another beautifully worked goal from Arsenal, and Bukayo Saka has made one and scored one, and they are back in front. I would say so as well. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Now, as far as the top four is concerned, uh, things are a little different now throughout most of the season. I think it's been a hope rather than a genuine aspiration. But now with games in hand and all our nearest rivals, the possibility of getting straight back into the Champions League has become very real. Uh, Amy, we all know that front running is very different from chasing. Do you think having a young team helps in this regard? I always remember Lee Dixon talking about in 1989 when in that famous year, and they were another predominantly very young side very inexperienced as well in terms of most of them hadn't won too much before. Noticing how when they got in front, suddenly everything felt different. You know, it's one thing chasing. It's one thing having, you know, having a a, a carrot in front of you that you're desperately straining to to get a bite out of. But it's another thing when you've got the the carrot in in your grasp and someone's breathing down your neck trying to bite you to get it off you. Um, <laughs> to, to overdo that metaphor horribly. <laughs> I uh, can see a carrot at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I'm. I think this is a really interesting time because we, since that terrible start to the season, you know, this young team have come together, and there's a great emotional energy, and everybody's in it together, and you know, it feels really, really exciting. So I think that probably the Arsenal team have been kind of over the last few weeks getting more excited about the possibility of getting back in the Champions League and top four and so on. But now, you know, it's it's very much in Arsenal hands. When you look at the table, you actually, bizarrely, you know, Arsenal have got three games in hand on those immediately uh, behind them. And that really affords them, bizarrely, to, to drop some points and still be in position to be a favourite for the top four. So it gives a bit of breathing space, but it's, you know, about, going to be about handling the difficult moments along the way, which there will be when things aren't quite going to plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, let's have a chat about how we got to this position. Uh, we're joined now by Mark Carey, who wrote a very detailed piece on how it happened. Uh, hello, Mark. Morning. Morning. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's all right. I mean, we'd given up hope, really, at the start, hadn't we? Those three games, uh, it all went horribly wrong at the beginning. And then we turned it around. Um, I mean, is there a particular thing? I mean, I read the piece. Uh, is it the fact that we've changed defenders? Is it the fact that we've changed tactics? <laughs> is it all of these things? Yeah, as, as with everything in football, it's probably a, an amalgamation of, of all of the above and probably more things as well. But... Yeah, zero points, no points after three games. But I think you've got to take into account the fact that two of those were against Chelsea and Manchester City. But I think the main sort of turnaround, um, interestingly, probably maybe more just out of chance, was the was when Aubameyang was dropped from that Southampton game onwards. The the underlying numbers have improved significantly, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> wow. I mean, yes, I because there was such a lot of... I mean, James, everyone was tearing their hair out with Aubameyang and, and uh, what was going on. Uh, but the numbers don't lie. We're better without him. At the moment, we are, yeah. And I mean, in fairness to Aubameyang, he's doing pretty well in La Liga with Barcelona too. So it seems to have been uh, a decision that's kind of suited all parties. It's a bit early to say that because, you know, we're yet to get to the end of the season and we've got to see if Lacazette can hold up and, you know, if we have enough depth to make it over the line. But this discussion of kind of what has changed, I mean, what you realise looking at Arsenal is actually quite a lot has changed. And, you know, the, the piece we did this morning makes that clear. It, you can go right through every aspect of the team, front to back. You know, I spoke earlier about the way in which the flank on which we attack has shifted from being predominantly a left-sided team to a lot more even. Arsenal are creating more chances from central spaces than any other team in the Premier League. I mean, it felt like... Last season, we were just slinging in cross after cross. But but in terms of kind of a pivotal moment, I think the Aubameyang one in recent times has been one. But over the course of the season, it has been much more incremental. And I do wonder if that's kind of uh, why it's maybe felt less convincing. There hasn't been a kind of moment where everyone was immediately on board. There wasn't one result or one change to the team or one thing that shifted the momentum. It has been... A steady build. It has been, uh, as much as I kind of hate using the term around Arsenal, a process. Um, but we are we are seeing the fruits of that now. And Arsenal, you know, when you look at these underlying numbers that Mark's produced in terms of kind of their their xG difference, the amount of chances they're creating versus the amount of chances they're conceding, 
they're in a far stronger position now than they have been for some time, really. Mark, you wrote about Aaron Ramsdale's distribution as well. Um, that has, I mean, it's not, obviously his distribution is just one part of his game, his personality, the way he's marshalling the defence, his enthusiasm. But that distribution has made a difference, more long passes than Bernd Leno. Yeah, I think that is that is an interesting one. I think that with with his long passing as well, you can you can look at the statistics on long passing and it could just be a, a lump up field and then it's a 50-50 ball or it can be a real targeted pass. And I think that's the, the main thing with Ramsdale this season is that a lot of them seem to be focused, targeted passes into the midfield or the forward so that you can then kind of build attacks from there rather than it being a bit of an up and under, which you could maybe in the numbers and the metrics you could class as a yes. long pass. So he's also obviously good with his with his feet in terms of the short passes, as Leno was in terms of building up from goal kicks as well as um, in open play with those short passes. But I think those long passes, you see him kind of drill it right through the centre of the pitch sometimes, not just to the wings. He really focuses on getting it right into the, the feet and kind of drilling it low rather than sort of getting it at chest height. So they've got more struggle to, to kind of bring it down. So um, his actual long pass completion rate, again, this is where the numbers can sometimes be a bit misleading, is actually the same as Leno's last season in terms of it's about 33%. So one in three actually come off. And I think in the Watford game, I recall a couple of times where he was a little bit loose with those passes, maybe getting a little bit overconfident. But ultimately, I think he's a net positive in terms of being able to distribute and really drive Arsenal up the field with one single pass. And the press... I mean, a lot of people talk about the press. Mark, can you sort of explain what we're doing differently? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because James and I have spoken about this on online ourselves of looking at Arsenal's passes per defensive action, so PPDA, which is a common metric used to basically look at a team's pressing intensity. Now, I won't go into too much depth on it, but in terms of the pressing intensity, Arsenal's is about 11th in the league in terms of the the high pressing intensity. But these sorts of numbers, again, can be kind of misleading because it doesn't necessarily sort of identify the fact that Arsenal seem to be kind of focused in their pressing, that they're not pressing all the time in terms of a real high intensity, but when they do, they do it with focus and they try and do it quite high up. And until then, they stay in a, in a really neat kind of block, which Art has shown really neatly with some uh, screen grabs um, on the piece that we've done. So... In terms of the the actual press of how often they're actually winning it back in the final third, it's actually the highest. It's been for a long, long time, even predating our Arteta coming in. But the yeah, the average time that they're winning the ball back in that final third in the attacking third, so they can then obviously build possession from there, is really high. About over six times on average um, across the previous ten games, which is really high and really positive to show that they can then yeah build attacks from there rather than you know if they were to sit back too far starting a possession in either their own mid third or defensive third they're focusing really well in terms of the targeted press to then actually go and do something with it not just have possession for possession's sake yeah almost like uh, arteta has learned something off pep guardiola <laughs> yes yes hopefully <laughs> so yeah you'd imagine so <laughs> Well, that was the thought when he came in, right, James? That was the thought that Arteta, we, we've got, you know, Pep, mini Pep, if you like. And uh, and it, and we seem to be playing in a similar style. I don't know. I mean, I think clearly that was the hope that 
not just Pep Guardiola. You know, I've spent a long time playing under Arsene Wenger as well and, and worked with a number of other good managers in his career. And it was interesting towards the end of his playing career, in fact, when he retired, he spoke about the fact that for the final 12 months or so, he'd felt more like a coach than a player. So I think even in his time at Arsenal, he was already kind of taking on those lessons from people around him. And I think you can see Pep's influence. To be honest, I think you see Pep's influence on Mikel as much in the way he carries himself and the way he deals with the media as anything else. I I do think that... um, the way in which Pep kind of generates aura, I think Arteta has seized upon that a little bit. And I think there is a similar kind of degree of sort of image consciousness that I think uh, he's carried into his own management. But I think um, tactically there are some similarities. And what will be really interesting is to see, as we've spoken about so many times, but you know, the final kind of component piece of this team maybe is the centre forward and, Pep, of course, has gone without one, essentially, this season. It doesn't sound like Arteta's minded to do that, but it will be fascinating to see, you know, what sort of piece he does choose to complete this team and and what kind of shape that gives it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the piece really tells a story of a team that has pretty steadily over the course of this season improved. And it, it really is remarkable when you think how low... We were. I do think maybe how low we were right at the start of the season was slightly distorted by the fact we had played two very strong sides at that point in Chelsea yeah. and Manchester City. And of course, the league table, sitting bottom of that without a goal, is never going to feel great. But the recovery uh, has been fantastic and, and of course leaves us in a, a really exciting position now, though it remains to be seen quite how that will turn out. Yeah, I, I guess a lot is up in the air. The next 13 games are huge. Uh, in uh, Arsenal's development. Uh, Mark, we'll let you go there. Thank you very, very much for joining us, Mark Carey. Thank you so much for having me on. Ray Parler takes it off. Parler! It's a vintage FA Cup goal for Arsenal. Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas on handbrake off uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Ray Parler, bless him, the Romford Pele is 49 years old today, 466 appearances, three Premier Leagues, four FA Cups and one League Cup. Amy, you've spent so much time <laughs> with Ray Parler. How's your liver? <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say so much time, but I mean, uh, I, I did assist him with his uh, his very amusing book. Very funny. Um, full of remarkable repartee and anecdotes. And yeah, he... he um, the thing about Ray that's so amazing is he obviously has this sort of uh, party lifestyle that he's always had. He had it throughout his playing career and, and, and still does. And yet he manages to combine that with being uh, very, very dedicated at all the other things that he does in his life. And I'm absolutely convinced with the way that he was uh, as a professional, there's no way that he stays as long as he does in Arsene Wenger's teams if he wasn't delivering. And I think it's quite easy to have this kind of uh, one-sided impression of Ray because he's such a character. But actually, you know, the way that he played... His stamina was completely remarkable throughout his career. And, you know, he's one of only two people who sort of straddled the George Graham winning era 
with the Invincibles, Martin Keown being the other. And I just don't think you do that unless you're something special in terms of being a footballer. And I think Arsene loved Ray um, and he turned a little bit of a blind eye to some of his excesses because no one else was really doing it quite like he was by then. Um, But he was valued so highly what he brought to the team, A, as a bloke, because he's hilarious and only wants to bring um, good vibes and bring people together and be a kind of uh, atmosphere glue in the team and in the squad and B, because of what he did on the football pitch. Happy birthday, Ray. 49 undefeated. <laughs> um, James, I'm reading that you've recently managed a team that lost to a Ray Parler hat-trick. Is this in real life? No, of course not in real life. I wish. Uh, it was a simulation where I had to take charge of the current Arsenal team, a computer simulation against uh, the Invincibles. And uh, I somehow went ahead with an Alexandra Lacazette goal, but Ray Parler <laughs> came off the bench to score a perfect hat-trick, right foot, left foot and header. You can see that video on um, the TIFO IRL channel. Oh, it's oh, really nice to get the game. Oh, six oh, out. Oh. Drives into the box. Can he finish? Anna. Oh, it's it's Lacazette. How is this happening? I don't understand. I, I don't know. How am I losing with the Invincibles? But uh, Ray Parler in real life, well, he scored a couple of very decent hat-tricks, I think. Yeah, life. I was about to ask you that. Do you remember them? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I was one, one was in Europe, or were they both in Europe? Verde Bremen. Verde Bremen, yeah. You were there, I, Amy. I was, uh, and I, I was in the crowd, but with the Verde Bremen fans, I can't remember why, for that match, and really quite friendly, and we sort of chatted our way through the game and shared sweets and that kind of stuff. And um, Sweets. Uh, and, and Ray <laughs> scored a phenomenal hat-tricks. Check it out. Some brilliant, brilliant goals. And they turned around to me and said, who is this player? Yeah. And I said, oh, it's Ray Parler. <laughs> We call him the Romford Pele, and they they thought he was you know named after Pele simply because he was a genius. <laughs> I was just wondering what the what the German for "It's only Ray Parler" might be. Um, Somebody will know. Uh, put it in Google Translate; it'll come up really some weird phrase. I imagine. I, I have to say, by the way, my hovercraft of- is full of eels. <laughs> I think that's exactly it. I have to say, uh, if somebody, by the way, anyone who hasn't watched Monty Python will wonder what the hell Amy was talking about there. But again, just there's a whole load of homework to do after this. Um, I met Ray Parler for the first time at the Comedy Store. I did the 30th birthday party uh, for the Comedy Store and Ray Parler was there and I had no idea he was there and he came up to me at the end and was so lovely about what I'd done. And I'm I just thought, what a brilliant end to the evening. Ray Parler's big smiling face telling me how funny I was, which is yeah, which th- means the something. The thing is, though, coming from him. yeah, I know, but especially as maybe he's funnier than you. I, I well, hey. I just well, so he, he probably had a couple of drinks by then. Stanley. I don't know if his judgment would have been. There. I imagine I can get up and down. I should say on the right. Um, let's have a song. I can't actually. Let's have a song uh, to end. James, I'll come to you first. Oh, thank you. Well, I picked a song. Basically, when I was watching this game, social media being what it is now, there are certain games where I watch it kind of anticipating the little clipped up montages of player performances that you might see. And I had that feeling about um, 
Saka and Odegaard at Watford. I was like, I'm going to be able to watch videos of this on Twitter for the next week. And I thought they're always underscored by kind of uh, lyricless electro songs. So I found a song by Jay Wolf, who's a, a Bangladeshi American electro artist. Who's, he's got a song called Telepathy. And it's perfect to sit under uh, a little compilation of Saka and Odegaard doing their thing. Sweet. Amy, what about you? During the season, it felt like the defence was the rock upon which Arsenal's resurgence. And then you look at, you know, yesterday and see the kind of uh, attack, 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 this freedom and verve. We were a bit shaky at the back. So for the next 13 weeks, it's Depeche Mode and get the balance right. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. I've, I've, I thought it was, I just love the smooth way that they uh, moved the ball about yesterday. So I chose uh, Santana, smooth. Because it was, wasn't it? Uh, that's it for Handbreaker Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to Mark Carey. Thank you to James McNicholas. Thank you to Amy Lawrence. Thanks to Abby, our producer. Uh, Have a good week, guys. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. 